Welcome to the Park Road Podcast for July 5th, 2020. Today's podcast is a sermon given by Amy Jacks Dean, co-pastor with Russ Dean at Park Road Baptist Church. Her sermon this morning is entitled, How to Make a Difference in This World. Today's sermon is entitled, You is Kind, You is Smart, You is Important, How to Make a Difference in This World. I preached it on July the 2nd, 2017, so the same holiday weekend three years ago. In the summer of 2017, Russ and I preached a summer series based on the congregation's requests for sermons. We were preaching your ideas and your questions. One person filled out a little slip of paper we had tucked into the bulletin months before the summer. I don't remember who asked what question that summer, except this one. I distinctly remember the person that asked it. He was so passionate about the question. Not only did he fill out the paper survey, but we discussed it. He was urgent in his request. And here's the sermon he wanted to hear. How do I make a real difference in the world? He really wanted an answer to this. It might be a fun little game to see if you can figure out who he is. He's still very much involved in the life of the church, and he still asks this question. Now, it may not surprise you to hear my assessment of him before attempting to answer his question. Perhaps just about more than anyone I know, he makes a real difference in the world already. So my guess is that people that ask this kind of question with such passion and urgency, desperate to make a difference in the world, are already making a huge difference. In other words, people obsessed with the question are already showing us how to do it, and they're usually clueless about it. I'm guessing you also won't be surprised to hear that after the sermon, trying to answer his question, how do I make a real difference in the world, I asked him, did I answer your question? Was the sermon helpful? He replied, kindly, of course, not really. (laughs) I knew that would be his answer before I asked the question, and it did not hurt my feelings because I knew I could not help him. I also know that the answer to his question, how do I make a real difference in the world, comes in asking the question passionately and urgently and giving your life to finding the answer. He has done this, I believe, his whole life long. I'll be interested to see if any of you have a guess to who it is. The text that I used three years ago from Ecclesiastes, this one verse, Ecclesiastes 9:10. whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. And then probably one of my favorite passages in all of the Bible is from John chapter 14, verses 8 through 12. It's the end. It's the end of Jesus' life, 
and he's trying to kind of wrap things up for them. One of the disciples, Philip, said to him, Lord, show us the Father and we will be satisfied. And Jesus said to him, have I been with you all this time, Philip, and you still do not know me? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I'm the Father and the Father is in, that I'm in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I don't speak on my own, but the Father who dwells in me does works. Believe me that I'm in the Father and the Father's in me. But if you do not believe, then believe me because of the works themselves. Very truly, I tell you, the one who believes in me will also do the works that I do. And in fact, will do greater works than these. I don't think there's any more powerful verse of scripture in the whole Bible. The one who believes in me will also do the works that I do, and in fact, will do greater works than these. Unbelievable. How do I make a real difference in the world is a great question. I don't know is my honest answer. After all the reading, all the thinking, all the pondering, all the writing, I don't know how to make a real difference. But here's my shot at the question. It's that great scene from the movie, The Help. The black help is raising the little white girl and sitting in that rocking chair in the little girl's room, Abilene tells little May Mobley those three little grammatically incorrect sentences again. You is kind. You is smart. You is important. I bet I watched that little clip ten times this week just trying to let it soak into me. You see, Abilene believes that those three sentences needed to be planted deep within the psyche of this young girl. How else would she ever grow up to make a real difference in this world? And at strategic moments throughout the book turned movie, Abilene tells May Mobley to say it with her. You is kind. You is smart. You is important. I thought of this when I read what blogger Glennon Doyle Melton of Monastery fame told. In her blog, she tells that when her son Chase was eight, a woman approached them at the grocery store and said, what a handsome boy. What do you plan to be when you grow up, young man? Chase looked up at her and said, I plan to be kind and brave, ma'am. Glennon says, this was just one of the best moments of my life. Kind and brave has been our family's battle cry for as long as I can remember. When I saw that little snippet, I went to her website and I searched the words kind and brave and I found a letter that Glennon had written to her son. Dear Chase, when I was in the third grade, there was a little boy in my class named Adam. Adam looked a little different. He wore funny clothes, and sometimes he even smelled a little bit. Adam didn't smile. 
He hung his head low and he never looked at anyone at all. Adam never did his homework. I don't think his parents reminded him like yours do. The other kids teased Adam a lot. Whenever they did, his head hung lower and lower and lower. I never teased him, but I never told the other kids to stop either. I never talked to Adam, not once. I never invited him to sit next to me at lunch or to play with me at recess. Instead, he sat and played by himself. He must have been very lonely. I still think about Adam every day. I wonder if Adam remembers me. Probably not. I bet if I'd asked him to play just once, he would still remember me. I think that God puts people in our lives as gifts to us. The children in your class this year, they are some of God's gifts to you. So please treat each one like a gift from God, every single one. Baby, if you see a child being left out or hurt or teased, a part of your heart will hurt a little. Your daddy and I want you to trust that heartache your whole life. We want you to notice and trust your heartache. That heartache is called compassion. And it is God's signal to you to do something. It is God saying, Chase, wake up. One of my babies is hurting. Do something to help. Whenever you feel compassion, be thrilled. It means God is speaking to you, and that is magic. It means God trusts you and needs you. And sometimes the magic of compassion will make you step into the middle of a bad situation right away. Compassion might lead you to tell a teaser to stop it and then ask the teased kid to play. You might invite a left out kid to sit next to you at lunch. You might choose a kid for your team first who usually gets chosen last. These things will be hard to do, but you can do hard things. When God speaks to you by making your heart hurt for another, by giving you compassion, just do something. Please do not ignore God is whispering to you. I so wish I had not ignored God when God spoke to me about Adam. I remember God trying. I remember feeling compassion, but I chose fear over compassion. I wish I hadn't, Chase. We do not care if you're the smartest or the fastest or the coolest or the funniest. There'll be lots of contests at school, and we don't care if you win a single one of them. We don't care if you get straight A's. We don't care if the girls think you're cute or whether you're picked first or last for kickball at recess. We don't care if you are your teacher's favorite or not. We don't care if you have the best clothes or the most Pokemon cards or the coolest gadgets. We just don't care. We don't send you to school to become the best at anything at all. We already love you as much as we possibly could. You do not have to earn our love or pride. You can't lose it. That's done. We send you to school to be brave and kind. Just be kind and brave. That's all you ever need to be. Take care of those classmates of yours and your teacher too. You belong to each other. Love, Mama. In these days, I didn't preach this in 2017, but as an aside to make it current, in these days of COVID-19 and 
protests in the streets. I have felt sick to my stomach. When I went back and reread these words from three years ago, I realized why I was feeling sick to my stomach. It's compassion. When I read the way people are talking to each other on social media, I feel sick to my stomach. As I'm reading more about Black Lives Matter and white privilege, when I watch hard documentaries, as I try to learn more, I feel sick to my stomach. And this sermon reminded me that what I'm feeling is compassion. I feel sick to my stomach for those that are sick and in the hospital and who are dying. And I feel sick to my stomach for those who are left to grieve. And I feel sick to my stomach for all the people that will yet die. And for those that have been mistreated for generations because of the color of their skin, they've been left out. They've not been hired. They've been shot to death before our very eyes. They've been strangled to death before our very eyes. And people are in the street shouting their anger at the long and horrible history of injustice. And I feel sick to my stomach. And that is compassion. And there are two things that we can do with compassion. Number one, you can do nothing. Or number two, you can do something. How do you make a real difference in this world? You do something. For the love of God, do something. And if you're not feeling sick to your stomach, you need to check your Jesus way. Because all that's happening in our world right now should make us sick to our stomachs. So will you do nothing? Or will you do something? In that sermon, I said that I had read the book Wonder that week. It was before the movie had come out. And it was just another story of a kid accepting another kid who was so different. There was a fifth grade English teacher in the story, Mr. Brown, and he posed monthly precepts for essay writing. And on the board he wrote, Mr. Brown's precept for October, your deeds are your monuments. He told us that this was written on the tombstone of some Egyptian guy that died thousands of years ago. So August, the boy in the story with the different face wrote, this precept means that we should be remembered for the things we do. The things we do are the most important things of all. They are more important than what we say or what we look like. The things we do outlast our mortality they're like the pyramids that the Egyptians built to honor the pharaohs. Only instead of being made out of stone, they're made out of memories 
people have of you. That's why your deeds are like your monuments. Of course, three years ago, I did the Google search of all the pithy sayings about how to make a real difference in the world. Like, I found this one, do it with passion or not at all. Sounds good, but it's not exactly right. Some things need doing that I don't have passion for. I still need to do them because the world needs for me to do them. I found another one. Do not ask yourself what the world needs. Ask yourself what makes you come alive and then go do that because what the world needs is for people who have come alive. Howard Thurman said that. And it's true. But the flip side of that is also true in that sometimes the things that need to be done to make a difference may be the very thing that makes me come alive and I didn't know it already. If I only do the things that make me come alive already, I will have a tendency to make a difference only in the areas of great interest to me, which will often be more self-serving than helpful. I need to be open to coming alive. And then I found this one. It was two hands, palms out. In the right hand was written, you can't change the world. And in the left palm was written, but you can make a difference. After thinking on it all week, I'd say this is mostly where I land. I probably can't change the world, but I can make a difference. But the question posed to me this morning was how how can I make a difference in the world by trying? Beth Clark wrote a book, Kisses from Katie, a story of relentless love and redemption. And in it, she says, people who really want to make a difference in the world usually do it in one way or another. And I've noticed something about people who make a difference in the world. They hold the unshakable conviction that individuals are extremely important, that every life matters. They get excited over one smile. They are willing to feed one stomach, educate one mind, and treat one wound. They aren't determined to revolutionize the world all at once. They're satisfied with small changes. Over time, though, the changes, the small changes add up, and sometimes they even transform cities and nations and, yes, the world. And so when preachers have exhausted the Google searches and when we've quoted the bloggers and movies and novels, then we like to turn to see what Jesus has to say. And he says, not only will you do the works that I have done, but you will do even greater works than these. Do you feel that? in the pit of your stomach. He fed the 5,000, but that didn't mean that no one was ever, ever hungry again. He healed the lame, but that didn't mean that every single person with a limp was now kicking up their heels. He gave sight to the blind, but that didn't mean that everyone could see. He welcomed the outcast and the stranger, but that didn't mean that everyone was always welcomed forevermore. So I ask you, did Jesus make a difference? 
You see, I think sometimes we think that if we can't see the difference we make, it must not be a real difference. Or if we can't see how what we are doing on a smaller scale impacts systemic change in a global way, then maybe we aren't really making a difference. Did Jesus make a difference? The things that he did did not seem to radically change the world. There was still poverty and sickness and despair. The principalities and powers were still in place under Roman rule. I'm guessing he had no idea we would still be talking about him over 2,000 years later and setting the course of our lives to follow his. Did Jesus make a difference in this He did for me, and I hope I do for him. But the truth is, we may never know if we make a difference or not, and that makes every single moment pregnant with the possibility that we can make a difference. That child that you tutor in reading, he may one day cure cancer. That woman that stayed in the youth building as our guest because she had no other place to lay her head may finally get a job that supports her family and her grandchild may go on to set policies that make our country better for all. Every single moment, every single encounter is pregnant with the possibility that you can make a difference because you is kind. You is smart. You is important. That's how God sees you. Can you see it within yourself? Feel the hurt in your stomach that is called compassion. Do something. Maybe this time I answered his question. May it be so. Amen. We invite you to learn more about Park Road at parkroadbaptist.org. Park Road is a progressive faith community located in Charlotte, North Carolina, encouraging independent thought, community service, social justice, and interfaith understanding. Today's podcast was produced with production help from Hugh Ashcraft, Brian Smith, Bruce White, and Rich Dower. Our theme music was composed by Brandon Michael Williams. Thanks for listening. Grace and peace to you.